Welcome to Zichu Daf Siman Mem Avram Gold High and Tehum Vesechus Yuma Daf Mem Hey. The fourth parak Tarp Bakalpi. So the three drops we're going to focus on. Number one, the Mishnah and Daf Mem Gimel Amud Beis introduced the Malchokas regarding how many Marachas were on the Mizbeach during the year, while all agree that one was added in Yom Kippur for the calls to be used for the Ketoras. The Gemara here brings up rights that identifies the purpose of each of the Marachas. According to Rabbi Yehuda, there were two daily Marachas, the Maracha Gedola to burn the Karbanas on, and the second Maracha for the daily Ketoras. Rabbi Yossi holds there was an additional marach for Kiyum Ha'esh maintaining a fire on the marach HaGadol. Rashi explains that if the fire on the large marach was not blazing sufficiently, they would replenish it with burning wood from this fire. Rabbi Meir holds that there was a fourth daily marach for for the limbs and fats that were not consumed at night. Rashi explains that this refers to the limbs and fats that were not placed on the marach the previous day for lack of room or those that were placed upon the marach but did not have time to become entirely consumed. The Gemara proceeds to bring the source for each one. Point number two, the Gemara clarifies the Rabbi Yossi's source for the third marach, which is for Kiyama Eish, maintaining of the fire on the marach is from the Pasuk, the Eish al-Mizbech tukadbo, and the fire on the Mizbech shall be a flame on it. According to Rabbi Yehuda, who doesn't require a third marach, he explains that the Pasuk is coming to teach regarding Hatzatzah Zalisa, the kindling of the splinters of wood used to start the marach every morning. This was done by kindling small twigs and splinters and inserting them between the larger boards. Rabbi Yossi derives the law of Hatzatzah Zalisa from the same place that Rabbi Shimon derived it from. For it was taught in a bright when the Pasuk states, and the sons of Aaron the Kohen shall place fire on the Mizbech, it teaches regarding Hatzatzah Zalisa that it may not be performed except by a valid Kohen and only while wearing the Big Day Kohuna. Rabbi Shimon challenges, saying that it would not enter someone's mind that a czar may approach the Mizbech, that such a limud would even be required. Rather, the Pasuk is coming to teach that Hatzatzah Zalisa Shlotehei El Barosho Shemizbech, the kindling of the splinters may not be performed except at the top of the Mizbech, meaning that a cone may not ignite the splinters on the floor and then bring them to the Mizbech. And point number three, the Gemara brings a long brace on which the question is raised, whether the coals for the Ketores of Yom Kippur are taken from the Mizbech HaChitzon, the outer altar, or the Mizbech HaZahab. The Torah states, mm-hmm. And he shall take a shovel full of fiery coals from upon the Mizbech from before Hashem. The phrase, Hashem, from before Hashem, implies that only a part of the Mizbech is before Hashem, but not all of it. Which Mizbech is that? It's the Mizbech HaChitzon, the outer altar. Rashi explains that the Mizbech HaZahav is considered completely before Hashem. So once again, the three points are number one. The Mishnah and Daf Mem Gimel Amabes introduced the Malchokas regarding how many Marachos were on the Mizbech during the year. While well, all agree that one was added on Yom Kippur for the coals to be used for the Ketoras. The Gemara here brings up rights that identifies the purpose of each of the Marachas. According to Rabbi Yehuda, there were two daily Marachas, the Marachah Gedola, to burn the Karbanas on, and the second Marachah for the daily Ketoras. Rabbi Yossi holds there was an additional Marachah for Kimeish, maintaining a fire on the Marachah Gedola. Rush explains that if the fire on the large Marachah was not blazing sufficiently, they would replenish it with burning wood from this fire. Rabbi Mer holds that there was a fourth daily Marachah for a volume of Padar Mishum the limbs and fats that were not consumed at night. Rush explains that this refers to the limbs and fats that were not placed on the Marachah the previous day for lack of room, or those that were placed upon the Marachah but did not have time to come entirely consumed. The Gemara proceeds to bring the source for each one. Point number two, the Gemara clarifies that Rabbi Yossi's source for the third Marachah, which was for Kiyama Eish, maintaining the fire on the Marachah Gedol, is from the Pasuk, Va'esh al-Mizbech tukadbo, and the fire on the Mizbech shall be a flame on it. According to Rabbi Yehuda, who doesn't require a third Marachah, 
He explains the Pasik is coming to teach regarding Hatzasa's Alisa, the kindling of the splinters of wood used to start the Marach HaGadol every morning. This was done by kindling small twigs and splinters and inserting them between the larger boards. Rabbi Yossi derives the law of Hatzasa's Alisa from the same place that Rabbi Shimon derived it from, for it was taught in a bright when the Pasik states, but Nastim bene Aaron HaKohen Eishal Mizbeach, and the sons of Aaron the Kohen shall place fire in the Mizbeach, it teaches regarding Hatzasa's Alisa that it may not be performed except by a valid Kohen, and only while wearing the big Dekohuna. Rabbi Shimon challenges, saying that it wouldn't enter someone's mind that a czar may approach the Mizbeach, that such a limud would even be required. Rather, the Pazak's coming to teach that Hatzasa's Alisa showed that hey, El Barosha Shemizbeach, the kindling of the splinters may not be performed except at the top of the Mizbeach, meaning that a cone may not ignite the splinters on the floor and then bring them to the Mizbeach. And point number three, the Gemara brings a long brace in which the question is raised whether the coals for the Ketores of Yom Kippur are taken from the Mizbech HaChitzon, the outer altar, or the Mizbech HaZahav. The Torah states, And he shall take a shovelful of fiery coals from upon the Mizbech from before Hashem. The phrase, Hashem, from before Hashem, implies that only a part of the Mizbech is before Hashem, but not all of it, which Mizbech is that? It's the Mizbech HaChitzon, it's the outer altar. Rashi explains that the Mizbech HaZahav is considered completely before Hashem. All right, so now we go to our Simmer Duff Mem Hay, and our standard simon is Monopoly, the game Monopoly. So here goes. The Mizbech Monopoly board with the different Maracha in each corner had a pile of wood splinters piled high in the center, and a community chess card for taking calls for the Yom Kippur Katoris from the Mizbech Echitzon. Once again, in slow motion. The Mizbech Monopoly board Monopoly, that must be more Duff Mem Hay, Ma, Monopoly. The Mizbech Monopoly board with a different maracha in each corner, which reminds us that the Mishnah and Daf Mem Gemara and Base introduced the Malchus regarding how many marachas were on the Mizbech during the year while we'll all agree that one was added on Yom Kippur for the calls to be used for the Katoris. The Gemara here brings a brace that identifies the purpose of each of the marachas. According to Behuda, there were two daily marachas, the Maracha Gedola, to burn the Kurbanos on it, and the second marachah for the daily Katoris. Rabbi Yossi holds there was an additional marachah for Kima Eish, maintaining a fire on the Maracha Gedola. Rashi explains that the fire on the large marachah was not blazing Sufficiently, they replenish it with burning wood from this fire. Romero holds that there was a fourth daily maracha for Evarim Padarim Shilinisakuma Be'erib. The limbs and fats were not consumed at night. Rashi explains that this refers to the limbs and fats were not placed on the maracha the previous day for lack of room, or those that were placed on the maracha but didn't have time to become entirely consumed. The more proceeds to bring the sources for each one. So the Mizbech Monopoly board, with a different maracha in each corner, had a pile of wood splinters piled high in the center. Which reminds the more clarifies the Rabbi source for the third maracha, which was for Kima Eish, maintaining the fire on the maracha Gedola, is from the Pasuk, the Eish al Mizbech Tukad Bo, and the fire on the Mizbech shall be a flame on it. According to Rabbi Yehuda, it doesn't require a third maracha. He explains the Pasuk coming to teach regarding Hatzatzah's Alisa, the kindling of the splinters of wood used to start the maracha Gedola every morning. This was done by kindling small twigs and splinters and inserting them between the larger boards. Rabbi Yossi derives the law of Hatzatzah's Alisa from the same place that Rabbi Shimon derived it from, for it was taught in a bright when the Pasuk states, But Nastim bene Aaron HaKohen Eishal Mizbeach, and the sons of Aaron the Kohen shall place fire in the Mizbeach. Rabbi Shimon says, the Pasuk is coming to teach that Hatzatzah's Alisa Shlotei El Barosha Shal Mizbeach, the kindling of the splinters may not be performed except at the top of the Mizbeach, meaning that a Kohen may not ignite the splinters on the floor and then bring them to the Mizbeach. So the Mizbech Monopoly board with a different maracha in each corner had a pile of wood splinters piled high in the center and a community chess card for taking calls for the Yom Kippur Katoris from the Mizbech Chitzon. Which reminds us, the Gemara brings a long brace on which the question is raised 
whether the calls to the Ketoros of Yom Kippur are taken for the Mizbech HaChitza on the outer altar, or the Mizbech HaZahav. The Torah states, and he shall take a shovelful of fiery coals from upon the Mizbech from before Hashem. The phrase Mulifnei Hashem from before Hashem implies that only a part of the Mizbech is before Hashem, but not all of it. Which Mizbech is that? It's Mizbech HaChitzon. Rush explains that the Mizbech HaZahav is considered completely before Hashem. So once again, the Mizbech monopoly board with a different maracha in each corner had a pile with splinters piled high in the center and a community chess card for taking calls for the Yom Kippur Katoris from the Mizbech HaChitzon. All right, now it's time for four bot back Hazara. Daf Memov. So the similar Daf Memov is a grandma. So here it goes. The grandma, grandma. That must be more Daf Memov. The grandma who designated her two precious little birds when she bought them, which reminds Rav Chisit said that King do not assume their respective designations of either Achatos and Ola, except at the time the owner's taking them to be offerings, or at the time the Kohen's actual making of the offerings. Rashi explains that if the owner specifies at the time of taking them, then the designations become irrevocably fixed. Should the Kohen then reverse and the offerings become puzzle? If he didn't designate them at that time, then even if he attempts to do so later, they remain legally undesignated, and the Kohen may offer either one as the Chattas and the other one as the Ola. Rav Shimbashi said that Rav Chisa's reasoning is based on the passage regarding Kinim, and he shall take, and the Kohen shall make. So we derive from here that King become designated, either the owner's taking or the Kohen's making of the offerings. The Gemara attempts twice to challenge Rav Chisa's rule to prove that the Kinim can be designated in between the taking and the actual offering, but is unsuccessful. So the grandma, who designated her two precious little birds when she bought them, didn't see her wealthy tummy grandson snatch them. Which reminds us, Rabbi said in the Hoshia that a wealthy person made the temple tummy and then brought the offering of a poor person, meaning kinim, he is not fulfilled as chiyuv. Rabbi Chagas says in the Rabbi Hoshia that he has fulfilled his chiyuv. The more challenges Rabbi Chagas' position based on the Mishnah Gan that states that if a poor Mitzorah brought the offering of a wealthy person, he has fulfilled his chiyuv, whereas if a wealthy Mitzorah brought the offering of a poor person, he has not fulfilled his chiyuv. The more answers that the case of a Mitzorah is different, for it's written in that section, Zos. This shall be the law of the Mitzorah. The restrictive word Zos teaches that the Mitzorah may bring only those offerings specifically prescribed for him. When the Gemara challenges his answer based on the first case, where the poor Mitzorah does fulfill his chiyav when he brings the wealthy person's offering, it answers that the inclusive expression Torah, the law of the Mitzorah, teaches that there is one law for the poor and wealthy Mitzorah. Both may fulfill their chiyav with the wealthy person's offering. So the grandma who designated her two precious little birds when she bought them didn't see her wealthy tummy grandson snatch them because she was busy trying to knit one strip of red wool with the minimum shear. Which reminds Rav Yitzchak said they heard from his teachers a distinction that between the two strips of red wool, one for the paraduma and one for the sir hamishdalech, that only one requires a minimum shear, but he couldn't remember which one Rav Yosef said it seemed more reasonable that the sir hamishdalech requires the minimum shear, the boy chalukah, since it requires division into two parts, as Rush explains, half tied to the goat's head and half tied to the rock. When Rami Barakham objected, saying the paraduma also requires a minimum shear because it must have weight, as Rush explains, it must be heavy enough to plummet into the flame. Rabbi answered saying that it's a malchus tanaim whether it requires weight, and Rabbi Yosef follows the view that it does not. Daf Membeis, so the similar Daf Membeis is a mobster. So here goes. The non-Kohen mobster, mobster, that must be more Daf Membeis. The non-Kohen mobster who was thrilled that he was able to shecht the paraduma, which reminds us, the Rav Yitzhak said that he heard from his teachers the distinction between two shechitas, 
that of the part of Duma and that of the part of the Kohen Gadol of Yom Kippur, where one of them is kosher done by a Zohar and the other is not. But he didn't know which one was valid. After the more clarifies that Rav holds that the part of Duma is puzzle if it's shakta by a Zohar. And Shmuel holds that it's the Kohen Gadol's part that becomes puzzle. The Gemara challenges each opinion since they use similar words in the Psukim to support their rulings. The Gemara challenges Shmuel as to why he holds the part of Duma as kosher if the Shkita is done by a Zohar. And answers that in the case of the part of Duma, the Pasuk states, Veshachut Osalofanov, and he shall slaughter it in front of him, referring to Lazar. So this implies Zar Shochet Balazaroa, that a Zar shakes the Barduma while Lazar watches. According to Rabbi who holds that a Lazar was the one who shakes the Barduma, the Pasuk means, Shoyasir Daitumimena, that a Lazar who's the one shakes the Barduma shall not divert his attention from it. Rush explains that he must constantly guard it from two and other disqualifications. Shmuel learns this then from a different part of the Pasuk. So the non-corn mobster who was thrilled that he was able to shakt the Parduma became enraged when he was told the par is now puzzle because he's no more qualified than a woman. Which reminds the more brings the support for Rav that a Parduma shakted by Zara's puzzle from a Bryce which teaches that just as a woman may not do the sprinkling of the Parduma, she can't do the Shita as well as the other abodas of the Parduma. So this implies that just as a woman cannot do the shechita, similarly a czar may not do the shechita. The Gemara challenges this, given that a woman may not do the hazar, but a czar can. So perhaps a woman cannot do the shechita, but a czar can. Abai answered that the reason the Brisa disqualifies a woman from the shechita of the Paraduma is from the fact that the Pasuk identified a lazar for the shechita and not a woman. Similarly, with regard to a czar, we may say a lazar is specified and not a czar. So the non-Kohen mobster, who was thrilled he was able to shecht the Parduma, became enraged when he was told the par is now puzzle, because he's no more qualified than a woman, and that even his donkey can't walk out with the Parduma. Which reminds us, Ula did an extensive examination of the Psukim from the Parshim Parduma. As part of his analysis, he says, the Pasuk states, Vahotzi Osa, he shall take it out to the outside of the camp, which teaches, ima, that he shall not take another cow with it. As it was learned in the Mishnah Par, if the Parduma did not want to go out, we don't take a black one with it, so people should not say they shakted the black one for the avoda. And they don't take out even a red one with it, so the people shouldn't say they shakted the two of them. Rashi explains that the shkita of the second one, together with the first one, would constitute an accompanying different activity, which would invalidate the part shkita. Revi says this is not the reason, but rather because the Pasuk says, Osa, Levada, he shall take it out, which implies it alone. The Tanakamu didn't learn this Rashi as Revi Shimon. It was Darsh time of the cry. He expounds the rationale of the Pasuk. The nafkamina between them is taking out a donkey with the cow. According to the Tanakam, it's permitted since the rationale doesn't apply, whereas according to Rebbe, it's forbidden since the Paraduma is not being taken out alone. Daf Mem Gimel. So the Simmer Daf Mem Gimel is a magazine. So here goes. The woman placing the ashes of the Paraduma outside the camp found a How to Be Machaper magazine. Magazine? That must be more in Daf Mem Gimel. The woman placing the ashes of the Parduma outside the camp, which reminds us that Ulok continues expanding the Psukim about the Parduma. The Pasuk states, Va'asav ish tahor as efra par and a man who is tahor shall gather the ash of the cow, and he shall place it outside the camp in a tahor place. Ish, lahakshir sazar. The specification of man comes to qualify a czar for this procedure. Tahor, lahakshir isha. The specification of tahor comes to qualify a woman for it. Rashi explains that there's no need to teach that a tame may not gather the ashes. So the woman placing the ashes of the Parduma outside the camp found a how to be a Machaper magazine with a picture of a Kongado after his first vidui on his par, which reminds the mission state the Kongado then comes to the bowl a second time and confesses. The Gemara asks, why is it different that in the case of the first vidui that he doesn't say, and in the second vidui he says it. The Gemara brings up Raisa that was taught in the Yeshiva of Ishmael to answer the question. Midas it didn't know sense. Logic dictates better 
that an innocent one should come to gain kapara for the guilty one, rather than the guilty one should come to gain kapara for the guilty one. So the woman placing the ashes of the parduma outside the camp found a how to be mechapra magazine with a picture of a kongado after his first vidui on his par, comfortably walking down the center of the Mizbeach ramp. Which reminds the next mission says every day Kohanim must send the Mizbeach on the eastern side of the ramp and descend on its western side. Rashi explains that the luck requires the one who ascends the Mizbeach to turn towards the right at the top. If the cone would climb up the left side of the ramp, he would need to cross the ramp at the top, and that would be unseemly to needlessly cross the ramp. The Mishnah continues, But today, the Kongado ascends the center of the ramp and descends in the center. Where she explains that each time the Kongado ascends the Mizbech, he ascends and descends in the center of the ramp. He thus traverses the entire width of the ramp on each ascent, whether he needs to or not. This display of familiarity demonstrates to Kosh Baruch Hu's great love for the Jewish people. The reason the Kongado is permitted to cross the ramp for no purpose is because he's the Jewish people's shaliach. His act is symbolic of the unique relationship between the Kosh Baruch Hu and the Jewish people. Rehuda says the Kongado always ascends and descends in the center. Daf Memdalad. So the simmer Daf Memdalad is mud. So here it goes. Holy mud, mud. That must be more than Daf Memdalad. Holy mud was placed outside the Heichel, preventing anyone from entering while the Kongado brought Katoris, which reminds the Gemara brother Bryce that introduced the prohibition against someone occupying the Heichel while the Katoris is being burned, based on the Pasuk, no person shall be in the Ohomoed, referring to when the Kongado enters the Kosh Kadashim. The Gemara brings a mission from Kelim that states that we must separate from the air between the Ulam and the Mizbeach during the time of the burning of the Katoris. Now this refers to the twice daily burning of the Katoris in the Heichel. Rabbi Lazar said the Rabban only taught this law in regard to the burning of the Katoris in the Heichel. The Rabban feared that one standing there might unthinkingly enter the Heichel during that time, which is forbidden in the Raisa. But regarding the time of burning the Katoris in the Kashkadoshim, we must separate from the Heichel, but there's no need to separate from the air between the Ulam and the Mizbeach. Rashi explains that the Kosh Kedoshim is relatively distant from the space between the Ulam and the Mizbeach. The Rabbanim were not fearful that one's awareness of bringing the Katoris and the Kosh Kedoshim will move someone to enter the Heichel. So, holy mud was placed outside the Heichel, preventing anyone from entering while the Kohen Gadol brought Katoris, that is Mechaperis for Lashon Hora, which reminds us, the Gemara asks if burning the Katoris actually atones, and answers that it does, Rabbi Hanani taught a brisa, which say that we've learned the Katoris is Mechaperis, as it says in the puzzle regarding the aftermath of Korok's rebellion, V'yitanes the Katoris v'yichapra alam, and he aren't placed the Katoris and atone for the people. And a brisa was taught in Yeshiva Rabbi Shmuel, Amal Katoris Mechaperis, what does the Katoris atone? Al Lashon Hora, for the sin of Lashon Hora. This refers to the people accusing Moshe and Aaron from being responsible for the death of Korach and his followers. Yavo Davar Let something that is offered in private, the Katoris, atone for an act committed in private, referring to the Lashon Hora. Rashi explains that Lashon Hora is generally spoken in private, even though in this specific instance it was said publicly. So holy mud was placed outside the Heichel, preventing anyone from entering while the Kohen Gadol brought Katoris, that is Mechaperis for Lashon Hora, in on the golden shovel he used, to scoop the coals. Which reminds the Mishnah Daf Mem Gimel Amabe stated that every day the Kohen would scoop up the coals with a silver shovel and then pour the coals into a gold shovel. The Gemara explains the reason for the two shovels is the Torah Chasa Mamon Shisrael. The Torah was concerned with the Jewish people's money. Rush explains that we too must be concerned for it and therefore we do not use a gold shovel for scooping up the coals lest they become ruined. The Mishnah continues by Yom Chosim B'Shal Zahav Machnis. But today on Yom Kippur the Kongalo scoops them up with the gold shovel and what he brings them in. The Gemara says the reason is Mishim Chosh the Kongalo. It's because of the weakness of the Kongalo. Rush explains that we fear that the extra effort of pouring from one shovel to the next will exhaust him. All right, now it's time to conclude the pop quiz of 10 questions plus three bonus questions from previous Masechitas. Number one, which stuff do we have in Mokos? We're going to have many Marachas that were on the Mizbeach each day of the year. That's on Duff. 
Mem Hey. Good number two. Which of you in the Kohen Gadol ascends and descends the middle of the ramp on Yom Kippur? And Rebunah says he does this the rest of the year as well. That's on Duff. Mem Gimel. Good number three. Which of you learned there is a prohibition for one to enter the Heichol when the Kohen Gadol is bringing the Katoris into the Kosh Kadoshim? That's on Duff. Mem Dalat. Good number four. Which of you learned the calls for the Yom Kippur Katoris is taken from the Mizbech Hechitzon, which the Pusik describes as Melifnei Hashem? That's on Duff. Mem hey. Good number five. Which of you learned the Kohen Gadol scoops the coals with a gold machta and brings it into the Kosh Kadoshim so you shouldn't get exhausted from pouring from the silver machta into a gold machta? That's on Duff. Mem Dalad. Good number six. Which stuff in Malkur's Rabbi Shmuel of Azar cannot shecht a par duma or the par of the Kongado in Yom Kippurim? That's on Duff. Mem Beis. Good number seven. Which stuff do we discuss whether a wealthy person can bring a poor person's offering? That's on Duff. Mem Of. Good number eight. Which stuff do we learn that the scent of the Katoris reached all the way from Yushalayim to Yericho? That's on Duff. Lama Tess. Good. Number nine. Which of the one, if the Parduma does not want to go out, one is not permitted to take a second cow with it, and it's a Malchokas, if a donkey may accompany it, that's on Duff. Membeis. Good. Number 10. Which stuff do Malchokas, Rabbi Yana and Rabbi Yochanan, where the drawing the lots is Ma'akev, that's on Duff. Mem. Excellent. Now we go to the three bonus questions. Number one. Which of the one that the Tanakama holds that two people who bring a seller must pay one carbon to cover the exchange rate, that's on Duff. Dalad and Shkallin. Good. Number two. Which of the one about tying a knot on a son's arm who is yearning for his father? That's on Duff. Samachvav and Shabbos. Good. Number three. Which of the one the Rabban considered including Parshas Balak in Kriyashma? That's on Duff. Yud Beis and Brachas. Excellent. That concludes the pop quiz. This is Rabbi Ram Goldman Zichu wishing you a great day and great learning.